Thank you for joining the Element Church Podcast, where we exist to guide people to experience life to its fullest, connect into meaningful relationships, and make a lasting impact. Wherever you're listening from today, we hope this message inspires and strengthens your faith. Kadesh Barnea, or simply known as Kadesh. Kadesh Barnea was an important place in the Bible. And I'm sure that many of you who identify as Bible scholars, Bible experts and everything, you know what Kadesh Barnea is. But even if that's not you, and you say, you know what, I, 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 I grew up in church. I heard the Sunday school stories and everything. You know what Kadesh Barnea is, even if it's not by name. But so there's still some of us out here who are unchurched. But it's okay because I'm here to explain just what Kadesh Barnea is. So Kadesh Barnea, literally the mouth the entryway into the promised land. So everything that God promised to his Hebrew people as he was delivering them out of slavery in Egypt and into his promises, the land that was flowing with milk and honey, the places with cities that they didn't build, but they were going to inhabit it. All of God's natural promises, it was all at the other side of Kadesh Barnea. What we know from scripture is that this journey from Egypt to Kadesh Barnea, Israel, that we know of today, was only supposed to take them about 11 days. But Kadesh Barnea, unfortunately, became a place where they got stuck. Now, Kadesh Barnea is also known in scripture from, you know, from the Old Testament. So you have things like where Abraham, he fought against the kings and in an unlikely victory, he won. You also have Hagar, where she encountered the angel of the Lord, a pre-incarnate Jesus Christ who rescued both her and her son's life and promised her a good future. But unfortunately, Kadesh Barnea, despite the many good things that transpired there, is more so known as being a place of failure, disloyalty and unfaithfulness to God. As we go more towards the, 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 the desert wanderings for the Hebrew people, we see that as they were about to inherit everything that God promised to these former enslaved people, they got there and Moses sent out 12 spies. Only two of them came back with a good report, Joshua and Caleb. Meanwhile, the other 10 came back with a bad report and the people believed their report rather than believing what God said. On the other side, as they were about to enter again, they grumbled and they complained against Moses, showing that they were unfit to go into this promised land. So unfortunately, those who had wandered in the wilderness and experienced God's goodness for 40 years, they died out before they got there. It's ironic because the name Kadesh Barnea itself literally means the holy or the sanctified place of desert wandering. The holy or the sanctified place of desert wandering. So why do I bring this all up today? It's because the Western church, we, we've got our own Kadesh Barnea. Our own thing that we've been struggling with for a good number of years, y'all. And if we could just master this, we could move on to the next thing and, and continue on with the gospel of Jesus Christ. But our own personal Kadesh Barnea, Western Church, 
is the issue of race. It's the issue of race. So before I jump into that too far, my name is Fred Gallup. Hey, hey, what's happening? So I used to introduce myself to y'all as a pastoral resident here at Element a couple years back when I was stationed here, but that's no more because I'm a pastor out here now. Hey, hey. Because of your support, your investment into me and my family, my wife and my three kids, we are where we are because of the investment of y'all. So, hey, if I could just take a little minute to just brag on my God, whole commission officer in the Air Force. You know what I'm saying? We a chaplain out here, you know? You know, we, we, we working on our doctorate. We graduated to be Dr. Gallup next year. Man. And it's all because, yo, y'all loved us. And then from the bottom of my heart, my wife, my kids, everything that's precious to me, we love y'all and we honor y'all. We thank you so much, man, for the, the warm welcome. Um, but yeah, man, so, but because... Because we have so much love for one another, we got so much trust for one another, we got to deal with this potentially explosive conversation, but we can do so in the spirit of unity and the bond of peace. Now, I'm sure that even if we don't agree on everything today, we can absolutely agree on this, on this that the world has made a wondrous mess of things. <laughs> a wondrous mess of things. And then too often, we allow the world to affect how we cohabitate with one another as Christians. We agree with that. But this is what we get to do. Now, today, I'm not here saying I have all the answers. I don't. I mean, I'm relatively young, man. I don't know. You know, I'm no longer, you know, I'm about to turn 40 next year. So my knee's telling me I'm getting a little older and everything. But... I can give a couple ideas, a couple ideas about how we can frame our minds about how to view, things, view these things through the gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Listen, y'all, we have to get this right. We have to because we are supposed to be salt and light in this world. We are the ones that preserve everything because we are the church, y'all. We are the church. The Bible says it is now time for judgment to begin in the house of God. If we expect the world to get it right, then you and I have to serve as examples about how to do this right so that we can minister to everybody else, showing them the glory of God through Jesus Christ. We have to get this right, family. We have to. Too many souls are at stake right now if we don't get this right and we're going to be judged for this because this is one of the things that God is looking at us right now he says I've given you all the tools you got 66 books on how to get this right what more do you need but as an overview right so my good friend good old pastor Derek I affectionately call him Dirk <laughs> good old Dirk he um he, he asked me to come, you know, to, to, to finish out the series on triggers and asked me to come on here on Juneteenth to talk about the issue of race. I said, say less, homie, I got you. <laughs> I got you. That's what my doctorate is in anyways. But Juneteenth. So happy Juneteenth, family. So, yeah. 
For those of you who don't know what Juneteenth is, it's a celebration of, even though the Emancipation Proclamation had been signed in 1863 by Abraham Lincoln. Sorry, I got to get nerdy on y'all for a little bit, you know what I'm saying? In January of 1863, it wasn't until two and a half years later that enslaved image bearers, notice I didn't call them slaves, enslaved image bearers of God in Galveston, Texas, they didn't know they were free. And there's a message in that, that Christ can set you free, but you don't even know it. But hey, glory. I'm not about to get into that today. But it took 2,000 armed militiamen to come down into Texas and say, you're going to cough up these people now. So two and a half years later, and that's what we're celebrating today, as this was a major step towards moving in the direction of equality for all people here in America. A major step. A major step. And that's why we celebrate Juneteenth as an Emancipation Day. So myself as a black American, I got two Independence Days. I got Juneteenth and I got July 4th. So I get more cookouts than y'all get. Uh So now the big idea for today, the big idea for today is how can we navigate these racial issues in the church? How can we navigate these racial issues in the church? So in order to properly communicate where we're going today, I got to explain something real quick. The first one, the first principle, and some of y'all going to look at me crazy when I say this, but just take a minute, just chill, let me explain. The first one, race is not real. Race is not real. It is a myth. The second one is, I'm going to offer us a lens for healing, just simply a lens for healing. But to jump into my first point, race is not real, y'all. I'm, it's not real. You can't prove to me it's real. And I'm going to walk down a little bit. I wish I could get fully into why, but I'm going to show you why race is not real. It is simply a myth. So from Acts chapter 17, verse 26 through 29, It says this, it says, from one man, I'm reading from the New Living Translation of the Bible. It says, from one man, he being God, created all the nations throughout the whole earth. He decided beforehand when they should rise and fall, and he determined their boundaries. His purpose for this was for the nations to seek after God and perhaps feel their way towards him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us because the reconciliation has already been made between God and man. Verse 28 says, for in him we live and move and we have our very being or we exist. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. So I got to do a little bit of preaching, just a little bit, I mean a little bit of teaching day before I start. Those of you who are in the front row, I'm sorry, that's the spit zone. I'm sorry. Listen, I'm a Hey, I'm a little Pente- ba- Baptocostal, Pentecostal preacher, you know what I'm saying? But I'm, I'm going to be sober today because I do a little bit of preaching before, I mean, a little bit of teaching before I start yelling at y'all. So, Lindy, you might want to back up a little bit. I'm just warning you. Okay. <laughs> so, now, what do we see from this, right? So, a couple things. We see that God created us from the same ancestors, right? The second thing God determined where we would be born and where we would be, uh, where we would live, who, will be born, we, we, who we, we would be born to for his glory. And three, that we belong to him. Now, we all agree with this in theory, right, that all people are created equal in God's image. We all, because that's just basic 
human decency right there. We all agree that all people are created equally in God's image and his likeness. But the problem is this dastardly evil concept, this sinful concept called race. It's a sinful concept, y'all. And I know we normally use this concept. Not so. We don't mean anything negative but, but when we say it. But allow me to explain where the concept came from. I got to do a little bit of teaching. I got to do a little bit of teaching. So prior to the 1500s, the word race was used so seldomly it was almost not even of note. The word race just simply meant a common kinship, a family bond. Common kinship, a family bond. So my race, according to the etymology of the word race, is Gallup. It's me, my wife, and my three daughters, and my little stupid dog named Zeus. So that is our race. That is my family. This is our kinship, right? That's the original concept of race. There's nothing wrong with that. But the problem is that what happened as a result of its use. See, there was this period from the 17th to the 19th centuries called the Enlightenment period, where in the Enlightenment period, sorry, I got to get nerdy on y'all again. In the Enlightenment period, there was a lot of scientific discoveries and achievements. So one of the things is that in this Enlightenment period, they did a great job of categorization. So they said these are species, these are genuses for animals, for plants, so on and so forth, for insects. And then we can predict their behavior and their attitudes and their aptitude based upon their species. Now, and they're coming over into America and they tried to come in and say, hey, we're going to establish shop here. But the, the, in order to establish the economy that they wanted to, tobacco was one of the main things that happened in Point Comfort, Virginia in the year 1619. But it was impossible to farm all that with so little people. So they needed to go back and get people who would come and work the land for them. This is just simply history. And to caveat that before we even go there, what this is not going to be is a beat up session on anybody because we are Christians. We don't do that. We don't do that, y'all. We just simply tell history and we look at things through the lens of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So now this concept of race, it extended beyond family kinship. And it said, hey, people from all these different countries, let's come together and form this collective identity. And we're going to say the lighter the hue is, the more Christian and lighter the hue is, the more pure it is. And the less it is, the darker the hue is, that is a subspecies. And these people don't have souls. They are the beasts of the field. This is where the concept comes from. As you can see, that concept is not in any way, shape, or form biblical in any way. As a matter of fact, the National Museum of African American History and Culture out there in the greatest city in humankind, Washington, D.C. Y'all disagree? It's all right. <laughs> they said this. Race is a human-invented, shorthand term used to describe and categorize people into various social groups based on characteristics like skin color, physical features, and genetic heredity. Race, while not a biological concept, is a real social construction that gives or denies benefits and privileges. Race was manipulated 
to be a hierarchical system, a hierarchical system that said these people are more valuable than these people. But if we were created in God's image and God's likeness, according to Genesis chapter one, verse 26 through 28, then how is anybody better than anyone else? How is that possible if God created us as equals? No matter where you're from in the world, you are born of God, literally of the same person. So how can there be value systems based upon your heredity, y'all? In the church, we recognize this is a sinful lie, and it has been one of the most destructive philosophies in the history of the Western Hemisphere. It is this concept of race that enabled things like owning human beings as mere property. This concept of race enabled things like the privatized prison system, prison system used to continue on with the caveat of the 13th Amendment. God, how can we as Christians say that we believe in this concept if God created us to be equal? The world, listen, the world can argue and fuss about this. Listen, we let CNN, we'll let Fox, we'll let MSNBC, we'll let people who are outside of church, y'all can fuss about that. But us in the body of Christ, we're working together to affirm the dignity of all people to the glory of God. Now, watch this. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 13 through 16. I'm not going to read the whole thing for the interest of time. But first thing, for, uh, verse 16 specifically says this. Paul was defending his apostleship because people had come into Corinth and said that he wasn't an apostle. He, they were trying to undermine his, uh, his, his apostleship and his teaching and everything. But he says, listen, despite all that stuff that's going on, listen, we're not going to judge people according to the flesh. We are not going to do this in any way, shape, or form because we believe that God created us all. So we're not, listen, whatever their ethnic origins, we're not going to do that because I see you from a more beautiful lens. I respect your heritage and all that. We're not separating that from the gospel, but I see you as different now because you are in Christ. And I'm going to explain that a little bit later. I'm explain that a little bit later. But now, after explaining that, I really want to take my time and talk about this, which is a lens for healing, because we've talked about the problem. And if you know anything about Fred Gallup, I don't like to stay on problems. I like to move towards solutions. I like to move towards mind frames being changed. And this is where, I'm sorry, front row. I might start preaching at you. So you might want to evacuate while you can. So 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17 through 18 says this. He says, this means that if anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person or a new creature the old life is gone and a new life has begun all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ and God has given us the task of reconciling people to him so I love this principle y'all because if you know anything about me right so the people that know me you can finish this statement context is important because context Context determines meaning. Give yourself a round of applause. It's been two years and you ain't forgot that. Go to God be the glory. So now watch this. Has anybody in here ever adopted? Yeah, I see some hands go up. 
Anybody here ever been adopted? See some other hands go up. This right here is everything about adoption. Adoption. Roman adoption, this context that it was written in, it was completely different than adoption that we see here in America. The reason why is because Rome was all about grandeur. They were about pomp and circumstance. They celebrated everything and everything had to be a show. It had to be a display. So in this adoption ceremony, there were four key parties here. You had the biological father or or AKA AKA the losing father because they were losing their child. Then you had the child then you had the gaining father or the, or the adoptive father. And then you also had the Roman magistrates who were all here at this adoption ceremony. And now this adoption ceremony was broken up into a few different parts. And the first part was called mancipatio, where we get the word emancipation. Emancipation, Juneteenth, you see the connection there? Now this concept is so beautiful. Why? Because in this ceremony... This is going to sound weird at first, but allow me to explain. You had this child that was brought in by the biological father. And then this child was placed on a scale. Then in comes the adoptive father and brings in copper to pay for this child and purchase this child from the previous father. Why was this done? Because there was this concept called patria potestas, which meant that the father, the only legitimate citizen in the Roman Empire, the man in the Roman Empire, had ultimate authority over the family. He could do whatever he wanted to with the child, sell him, kill him, whatever, because he was the only one who had legitimate power. So now this father is coming to sell It's remember, it's ceremonial. It's coming to sell his child to the adoptive father. And then the ceremony went like this. So the adoptive father would come in with their, you know, all these, all this copper, and they would throw it down and say, I really want this child. I really want this child. I really want this child. And then the the biological father would say, Are you sure? Because if so, the child is yours. So the father would take the biological, I'm sorry, the, the adoptive child and say, You are now in my household. But then on the other hand, the biological father would come back and say, no, no, I think I want to buy my child back. So he would purchase his child back. And then this was all done to show that I'm not just giving you up. You have worth. You have value. But then on the other hand, so that the sale went through once, right? But then the father would say, you know what? I think I changed my mind. The adoptive father, I think I, I really want to buy this child back. So they would go and purchase the child again. And then again, the biological father would purchase the child back. Then the last time around, the, bio- the adoptive father would come in and say, hey, listen, I think I've really made up my mind. Again, this is all ceremonial. I want this child. And then the biological father would say, you really want this child? Yes. He would give his child up for the final time. But before he do that, they would turn to the magistrates and then the magistrates would say, This is the third and final sale. If you do this, this child has died to your household and they are born again into a new household. Do you want to do this? Reluctantly, the biological father says, yes, 
Why is this done? In this case, it's usually because the biological father is in a position where he cannot provide the child with the best quality of life. But then on the other end, the adoptive father is a person who is of means that says, I want to purchase this child. And then when they purchase the child for the last time, he turns to the magistrates. He says, magistrates, I've done everything. I have paid for this child. Give me this child. And the Roman magistrates will say, yes, this child is officially yours. So in the eyes of the Roman law, this is now a new creature. This is a new person all together. Now, what's so important about this is because this person is now a new creature. The, 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 the former birth certificate is now no longer, it doesn't mean anything because there is a new name on this birth certificate. And all previous brokenness, all debts, everything that was negative that was associated with the previous family is now completely wiped away because this person is a new creature in the new father's household. So what does this mean for us? If Christ, who stepped down off of his throne, he is the adopting agent for the father. He says, God, I love magistrates. I love this child right here. I'm going to give up my own life so that I can die in their place so they will never have to face your judgment. I'm going to take the fullness of wrath for them. I'm going to die in their place. I'm going to be beat. I'm going to be spit upon. I'm going to have a crown of thorns placed on my flesh. I'm going to be hit in the face. I'm going to be beaten to the point of being concussed. I'm going to have my body broken just because I love them enough and Father, you love them enough so you gave me for them so that they can be reconciled back to you. So after this happens, all previous debts, that means that, watch this, y'all, the good news is that in Christ Jesus, we have a new kinship. We have a new father. We have everything that is new. That doesn't change us from the fact that we still look like our previous father, but in this, we have something new. Now, I'm not even going to sit here and lie. Like what the Roman father would say, you know, hey, I'm not trying to wipe away your identity with that, whatever. I'm just trying to bring you in something new. So what does that mean for us today? That doesn't change me from being a black dude. From, you know, Virginia with a little bit of country city swag. You out here wearing Yeezys tatted up with earrings. And I, you know, I ain't wear my gold teeth because I thought that would be too much for y'all. <laughs> but I'd have been up there blinging and shining. Just y'all be like, what is going on? Who y'all let in the pulpit? <laughs> That doesn't change the fact, and God honors. Remember, he said he purposely gave you your heredity. All for his glory, y'all. He did that, and then the concept of I'm colorblind, I don't see color. Stop that. See it. Value it. Praise God for it. We get an opportunity to celebrate the diversity that God has given us as we come together from all walks of life. Watch this into a new race, a new family, a new kinship, because these things are now passed away. All of the negative things are now gone. And now God takes me, my crazy self from Virginia and says, I'm going to make you a pastor. And everybody's like, what? <laughs> the beauty is that Christ has accepted us all. And now we need to have that same mentality moving forward is that now I get to see you as people who come from wildly different genetic backgrounds than I do. Hey, listen, y'all, I come from Virginia. I was overseas for 12 years, 
And then overseas, you know, you know, stationed overseas for 12 years. Anybody ever been stationed overseas before? You know that when you watch the news about America from overseas, y'all look crazy. <laughs> so, I'm, you know, I, I, I get this assignment to come back to America, and I'm terrified. I'm like, good Lord, all the stuff I'm seeing in America looks like Baghdad. <laughs> but, and then God says, not only are you going back to America, you're going to Wyoming, where there's only... 5,000 of y'all. I looked at the population. I was like, ah, oh, Lord Jesus, there's 5,000 black people there. <laughs> I, I said, Jesus, what are you doing? So I come into Wyoming and God sends me to Element Church and I'm walking in here. You know, I got Jordan's on, you know, and all this sort of stuff. I'm walking in. People got on cowboy hats. I was like, all right, Jesus. <laughs> but what I can say is this, is that Element, y'all have been the most loving and affirming and accepting church for me and my family that we have ever been a part of. Y'all have in no way, shape or form tried to restrict us from being who we are. <laughs> Y'all allowed me to preach. <laughs> Y'all, so this is what I get to say. I, I got the blessing, the opportunity to come to the most monocultural state in the entire nation, <laughs> the least dense, the least populated state in the entire nation, and we found a family, a new race, y'all, of people that say we recognize that God is our Father and we love you no matter what. Y'all didn't even like consider me, you know what I'm saying, think of me as like, oh, that's that black dude. Y'all thought that's that crazy dude. <laughs> <laughs> so I can say confidently, whenever people ask me, how was my, my Wyoming experience? And I say, aside from the nine months of winter, <laughs> I found a family there and we are forever tethered to this place because God is in this place element. You are God's chosen people. And I am so godly proud of you and the things that you're consistently doing i'm looking across and i'm seeing so many loved ones out here that hey i didn't even want to tell everybody i was in wyoming i just wanted to show up and surprise y'all surprise <laughs> but now i'm looking across and i don't even want to call you out and embarrass you but i see you i see you i see you but listen throughout the history of my ministry going back to uh 2010 man i'm old some of y'all are like, boy, shut up. <laughs> I can say that y'all get it right. Y'all get it right. And in this ministry, y'all are truly a family. Y'all embody the fact that I, I talk to some people, even between service, in between this service and last, they say that this is truly the first place that I ever was accepted for being who I am. I ain't got to wear the three-piece suit. <laughs> I ain't got to do this. I ain't got to do that because Element radically accepted me. And I get a chance to brag on y'all every chance that I get. And I just thank God for that, y'all. But now the good thing is this moving forward 
is that because we have this new identity, because even though we still have our ethnic identities that God is pleased with, right, we get this new identity, this new race of God's chosen people, his holy priesthood, his holy race. We get an opportunity to now combat the things that we see are negatively impacting people. And we don't have to go at each other's throats to do it. We can sit down as what a good friend of mine calls table fellowship, and we can strategize about how to get the gospel out there for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, without getting caught up in all the different quote-unquote culture wars that are out there, y'all. The Bible says that we get a chance to redeem the days because the days are evil. People are dying and going to hell. And I can say this as a person, black dude from the East Coast, is that this is, and I can only speak from my own cultural context, as I know that there's so many different in here. This is a major gospel issue for us. Why? Because the cross is the symbol of Christianity. But unfortunately for so many of my ethnic brethren, that we see the symbol of Christianity is the whip and the noose. Because we see the Christian faith as an oppressive faith from people who hated us and put us under subjugation, but you showed the world element right here in this country little town of 62,000 people (laughs) in the middle of the West, that that is not what we stand for. We stand for equality and unity, that Ephesians chapter four unity that God honors, one Lord, one faith and baptism. And I am so thankful to consistently be in fellowship with y'all. And then I also say this, For those of you who are in Unsigned of My Voice, I've been ministering since 2010. And I know that not everybody is saved. Just because you're in church does not make you saved. So if that is you and you would like to make Jesus Lord over your life, you want to be adopted into this family where God says you have more rights than a natural born son. Because I can never throw you out. You are mine forever. I invite you in. The Bible says we are sinners and we deserve judgment. But it says that God extended the olive branch to us through his person and the finished work of Jesus Christ. When he died on that cross, he didn't just die for you. He stretched out his arms and died as you. He took the full cup of God's judgment so that you would never have to. And he did the great exchange where he took the sin and the shame and he gave you the blessings and identity of a kingdom citizen. And that will never be taken away from you. And then honestly, he says, all you have to do is repent, meaning to turn away from your sins and turn to God. And if you would confess, believe it in your heart and confess with your mouth that God raised Jesus from the dead, then you will be saved. So with every head bow, every eye closed, if that is you, that you want to make Jesus Lord over your life, I just ask that you raise your hand. If you've never made Jesus Lord over your life. I see your hand. God, your word says that the angels in heaven, they celebrate, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. God, just as we were a part of this broken family, God, that belonged to sin, you take our brokenness, Lord, and as the potter would declare, you place us back together better than ever because we are adopted into your family. And I see the hand of my sister that went up, Lord God, and we thank you that she has now been forgiven for her sins. Her debt is wiped clean and she is now accepted in the beloved and now a kingdom citizen born again with a new identity in Christ Jesus. So, God, I thank you for even those who may be backslidden right now, that your word says that you are married to the backslider and that there is still grace, Lord. 
So God, we pray that as we depart from this place, but never from your presence, that you will be glorified in our lives as we continue to make positive changes so that we can bring other people into this faith and celebrate your goodness among us, Lord. So we give you all glory, honor, and praise for this in your son, Jesus' name. Amen. 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 To God be the glory, y'all. Before we close out, as is customary, if anybody needs prayer, if anybody needs prayer, there's a purple tent back there. Element servants will be so glad to meet and pray with you. And I just want to pronounce the Aaronic benediction over you as is customary in Messianic circles. So may the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his everlasting shalom, his peace and prosperity in Jesus Christ's name. Go and be great and love on somebody. To God be the glory. I love you, Element. So long. If you were encouraged by today's message, be sure to subscribe and rate this podcast or follow us on social media. To learn more about our gathering times in Cheyenne, Wyoming, or to take your next step, visit our website, elementchurch.life. Thanks for tuning in. Catch you next week right here on the Element Church Podcast.